You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud member of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTFPodNet on Twitter. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. And you can find my co-host for the day, Mr. Matthew Fox, at Nighthawk7734 on Twitter. We are just one of many podcasts on this wonderful network. We've got the likes of Jim Day of FF Champs, Adam Ronis and Dr. Roto from SiriusXM Radio, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of other great podcasts. Your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. And you can find us all on FullTimeFantasy.com. For today's episode, Mr. Matthew Fox, as I stated, will be joining me as we will break down eight of the games from the Sunday Slate. And then we will talk about some of the waiver wire guys you should be looking at, who we think uh, might be repeat performers, what's going on with some of these other players, and then at which case we will finish breaking down the rest of the games and the Monday Night Football game on tomorrow's episode. So I'm going to go ahead and get him in here right now, and we'll start breaking down what we saw from some of the games on Sunday. Mr. Matthew Fox joining me today to recap some of week three. Matt, how was your weekend and how are you doing today? All right, doing pretty good uh, down here in South Carolina for a work conference. So kind of adjusting to uh, a new area. A lot of respect for those of you that are on the East Coast staying up till midnight to watch football games. It was quite an adjustment yesterday. Yeah, I didn't enjoy staying up to uh, till ten forty five last night and watching my Browns lose. That was uh, that was not fun for me. Uh, we'll definitely get into that game. How uh, how'd your fantasy weekend go? Uh, pretty good so far. Uh, I have twenty eight teams uh, so far. Sixteen are guaranteed wins. Seven are already declared losses, and I have five up in the air tonight. Yeah, so um, I feel like I'm I'm sort of right there in the in the same area as you. Uh, so I have 38 leagues, as a lot of people know. I've got 10 that I know I'm going to win. The rest of them, I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose. So I'm doing it. I'm pulling another like 10 and 28 week, which is not making me happy. I'm about to be one and two 
or 0-3 in a lot of leagues, and I, I just feel like this is not going to be my year. I keep, uh, I keep unfortunately playing like the highest scoring team every week, and then some of the injuries, Barkley included, this week is really going to hurt me in a lot of my big money leagues. So I am, I feel like this is just not going to be a good fantasy season for me, and I'm dreading it. I might just cancel the podcast and we'll return back next year, take a year hiatus, because this is not going to be fun at all for me whatsoever. Well, it's still early, so you never know. You can turn it around. Yeah, that's the one thing I keep telling myself, but then I go back and look at some of my teams, and I'm like, you ain't turning that around, buddy. You're just, it's just not going to happen for you. <laughs> yeah, mine feel a little bit like that, too. It feels like it's feast or famine. I have some leagues that I'm like about to be 3-0 and that I'm close to the high score every week, and some leagues that are just confounding. Yeah, I think for me, before we get into the games, it's just it feels like it's a weird year for me. Just going and looking at some of the high scores and everything, I'm just like I don't I don't understand how some of these guys are up there. Maybe it'll level out. As you said, it is early. We are technically at the end of week three with, with the game tonight between the Bears and the Redskins. But man, just I I did not expect some of these guys that are up there at the top to, to be up there and I feel like maybe that'll level off. Like, you know, for instance, Stefan Diggs. That's one guy that I, I bought into heavily this year in a couple redraft yeah. leagues. And he has just looked god-awful. Does that ever level out? I don't know. But that's one of the things that it's just driving me crazy this season. Because I, I expected more out of him especially, and it's just not looked good. But we'll, we'll talk about him in tomorrow's podcast because we don't have the, the Vikings on the docket for today. But let's go ahead and jump into our games of Sunday and talk about what we saw and, and waiver wire targets and everything like that. First and ten at the Lions 29, and Prescott goes screen right. Elliott down the right side to the 25, to the 20, to the 10. Elliott to the pylon. Zeke Elliott, touchdown. 38 on the screen. Second down at 10, takes the snap, gives it, Chubb runs, he's in a 15, he's in a 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, there goes Chubb, he's in the 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Chubb-a-lubba home! 92 yards! Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Dick. Stay home. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. All right, so the first game we're going to talk about is between the Carolina Panthers and the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals. Panthers pulling this one out 38-20. Really a surprisingly good game, in my opinion, for for Kyle Allen coming in there, the battle of the Kevin Sumlin Bowl. For those of you who don't know, they were both at Texas A&M together before they both left 
uh, Texas A&M. Kyler Murray going on to Oklahoma, obviously, and winning the Heisman. Kyle Allen goes 19-26, 261 yards and four touchdowns. That finishes QB4 on the week with 38.59 points. CMC continues to dominate. 24 carries, 153 yards and a touchdown to get you 27.8 points, finishing his RB4. Curtis Samuel actually has a good day in this one. Wide receiver 20, 16.3 points, 53 yards, a touchdown on five catches. DJ Moore, 52 yards on one catch, his touchdown catch, to finish his wide receiver 31 with 13.4 points. And Greg Olson has a really good game, looking like the Greg Olson of old this past couple weeks. 75 yards on six catches and two touchdowns we don't know how long cam is going to be out but with the way that allen played in this one do you still trust samuel and um and olsen moving forward without cam well i think it'll be interesting uh to see obviously only two targets for dj Moore. um that's way off the pace that we had seen with cam newton cam's already been ruled out for week four um, against the Texans. So we know Allen's going to play at least one more week. I thought he looked pretty good. I think the difference between you and me earlier in the season and how we viewed Carolina was I thought Cam was not healthy and it was going to hold them back. And you thought that they had a pretty good team. Well, it turns out when we see a different quarterback in there, maybe they do have a pretty good team. Samuel got a lot of targets uh, in the previous weeks. It just was a matter of not connecting. He was able to connect a little bit better, five catches on seven targets. And Greg Olson, I, you know, I think a lot of people were down on him this season. A lot of people thought Ian Thomas was going to finally ascend and either eat into that work or claim that job, and that has not happened. So I would say in a position that's we've always talked about being really rough, Greg Olson might be one of the steals of the season so far. Yeah, if you can still get him off your waiver, I actually know in a couple, in two of my redraft leagues, he's still on the waiver wire, and I am planning on using as much of my fab as possible this week to try and get him. I mean, I have Mark Andrews in one of them. Uh, so obviously if you've got Andrews, you're somewhat good, although he struggled in his game this week. But Olsen has looked like the Olsen of old, and as long as he's healthy, I'm right there with you. I think the difference with Samuel and Moore is Samuel has played a little bit more with Kyle Allen. Uh, for those of you who don't remember Samuel, obviously that for his first career, first year in the NFL was out the entire year pretty much with an injury. Last year, before he came back, he got in a lot of work with the second team, which is where we would have seen Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen did look good last year, too, when they finally decided to sit Cam at the end of the year. Has come in and balled out. I don't expect him to take Cam's job at all. I did see some people talking about that. It's not going to happen, at least not this year. Cam is still the face of their franchise for now. Uh, but I do expect, especially with him being out there week four, that they'll continue to, to be good. And then we'll see what happens moving forward. Maybe Kyle Allen goes out there and balls out again. And they're like, you know what, Cam? Let's give you a couple more weeks to make sure you're fully healthy. So it, with it, whether Kyle Allen's out there or Cam Newton's out there, I think you can trust Greg Olson because he's done it with both. Uh, and then Curtis Samuel, I still think, is, is in the flex, uh, flex territory. DJ Moore, I would not be too worried about regardless. On the Cardinals side, Kyler Murray still continues to get it done for fantasy, although not putting up a lot of yards. 30 of 43, 173 yards in the air, two touchdowns, two interceptions, adds 69 yards on the ground to finish his QB 13 with 30.8 points. David Johnson uh, finishes his RB9 with 18.5 points, 37 yards on 11 carries, 28 yards on six catches, and a touchdown. Christian Kirk, wide receiver 21 with 15 points. 59 yards on 10 catches, and then Larry Fitzgerald, 36 yards on 5 catches and a touchdown to finish as wide receiver 25 with 14.6 points. 
The Cardinals as a team really are, are not looking that good. I mean, they're in their games, which is good for us in fantasy, but they're just not looking like they're going to be a competitive team this year. However, I feel like all those guys are definitely starter-worthy in, in fantasy football. They continue to put up points. I am a little worried about DJ. He, he yet again just gets you a little over three yards of carry. So his I fear for me, what I've seen is a lot of his fantasy production is definitely coming in the receiving game. And as long as that continues to come, he's going to be fine. Are you worried about anybody on Arizona? Well, I think that there's an ongoing concern that we're going to have all season, which is the fact that they have a really bad offensive line. And when they play against better defenses, it shows up. I think there were a couple of things that occurred to me, you know, watching how this game played out yesterday. Their defense is really bad, um, which means, you know, they're going to be behind a lot. They're going to have to throw a lot. That's going to do some damage to David Johnson. And that line is really bad. And no matter how good of a running back you are, we've seen time and time again, a line that's that bad limits your opportunity. You can only dodge so many guys that are in the backfield. You know, if somebody is hitting you when you're three yards behind the line and you get a two-yard gain, in the stat box it looks like you can't run for anything, but you're killing yourself to get those couple yards. Uh, Kyler got sacked eight times yesterday. Carolina has a good secondary. Also made me wonder if last week um, maybe was not so much about how much Arizona had improved, but the Ravens' defense not being uh, what we quite thought it was because we saw yesterday, uh, which we'll talk about, they got absolutely destroyed by Kansas City, and yeah. prior to that they had only played Miami. So you come into the year with a certain set of you know, presupposed positions about how you think teams are going to play. Maybe the Ravens were going to see their defense isn't quite uh, what it has been in years past. And that explains, you know, in week two, you're prone to think, well, Arizona's really stepped up. Their line has taken a big step forward. They're doing a lot better. Well, maybe the defense they were playing wasn't uh, quite the defense we thought they were playing. Cause you see this week, a lot of people, including myself, picked Arizona this week thinking, hey, they they were really competitive with Baltimore in Baltimore last week. They're coming home. No Cam Newton. This one's they've got it in the bag. Their defense gets walked all over, and their offense can't hold up and just continues to get Kyler pounded. You saw that in their first home game with the Lions. If it wasn't for a pretty Herculean fourth quarter where for week one of the regular season, guys' conditioning is not where it is, and when you get deep in the game, they can't hold up. That covered over the fact that for three quarters, Arizona couldn't move against Detroit, which has a pretty decent defense, as we've seen. And if Detroit was more midseason conditioning, what would that fourth quarter have looked like? So I, I think it's going to be a long season. Kyler's a good player. There's some potential there. But it's going to be a long season. It's probably going to be a long season for David Johnson, too, because when you can't block, you can't do anything. As a Broncos fan, that's been the entire story of our season, and that's unfortunately that's going to be how it goes for Arizona, I think, too. And they're going to play some tough defenses. Oh, yeah, that's where, that's where um, for me, like I said, David Johnson is, is going to really this year, it seems like, rely solely on that receiving yards to keep his uh, – or receiving game to keep his fantasy hopes alive. Much like I, I would say uh, Philip Lindsay as well in Denver, getting – the more and more he gets involved in that passing game, the better and better he is going to be for fantasy. The, the next game we've got here is the New York Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll obviously talk about the Barkley injury here in a minute, but it is Danny Dimes 
first game and first win of the season. Got a little bit lucky, obviously, with the missed field goal by the Buccaneers. But Daniel Jones goes 22 of 36, 336 yards, two touchdowns. Does get 28 carries and two rushing touchdowns as well to finish as QB2 on the week with 45.49 points. The, actually, the first QB since I believe it was 1981 or the 1800s to have to start his first uh, or in his NFL career career first game and have two rushing and two passing touchdowns. So good on him. Rushing game, we saw Wayne Gallman step in for Saquon Barkley. Again, Barkley just gets a few carries before he gets a high ankle sprain, only gets you 7.7 points, and, and we've got even more bad news with him. We'll touch on that after we discuss the rest of the game. Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram ball out, though, with uh, Danny Dimes here. Sterling Shepard finishes as wide receiver 5 with 27.1 points, 100 yards, 7 catches, and a touchdown. Evan Ingram finishes as tight end 4, 23.3 points, 113 yards on 6 catches, and a touchdown. Darius Slayton also has a good game. Wide receiver 41 with 11 points, getting you 82 yards on 3 catches I liked what I saw out of Daniel Jones I was paying heavily or paying a lot of attention to this game especially it being a game for the most part brings the Giants down from or brings the Giants back and wins the game after being down 18 points great game for him and the one thing I took away mostly was how mobile he was and how how much um How's the way, how do I want to word this? How good he looked on the move, I guess. The way he was able to get out of the pocket and one of the throws he made to Sterling Shepard was just magnificent. It's something we haven't seen from Eli in years, which does make sense. Eli is getting older, but I feel like this is the reason they made the move to Daniel Jones. My biggest question would be to them then is why you didn't just start Daniel Jones to begin with. Because if this is what Daniel Jones was going to be, you guys might have a chance to be 2-1 and one right now. Because they might have been able to beat the Cowboys. They were in the Cowboys game up until the, the third quarter started. Could have possibly been in and possibly won more games with Daniel Jones being out there. But this offense looks completely different with Daniel Jones out there. Sucks Saquon Barkley going down. But what was your takeaway from the Giants offense in this one? Yeah, I think if you're a Giants fan, you have to be encouraged, not just for uh, the fact that games might be more exciting the rest of this season, but for the future. Uh, Jones looked really good. I was one that questioned whether, you know, you wanted to throw him out there with, uh, you know, on the road against Tampa Bay. Well, he looked really great. Now he gets to come home to play against Washington. Uh, he won't have Saquon Barkley, but that didn't seem to slow him down. They did most of their damage in this game without Barkley being available to them. So, um, you know, I'm not jumping on the Giants' playoff bandwagon, but I think it might be a more exciting season. I mean, you can have a 5-11 and or 6-10 and season that's fun to watch, and that might be what they're in for at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The future looks bright. I mean, when, you're, when your core is being built around – Daniel Jones, who again looked good, Saquon Barkley, and Sterling Shepard, who who hasn't, when he's been healthy, proved that he could be a very good wide receiver. Uh, definitely a very good offensive core moving forward, and Evan Ingram. You can't even forget about that. Um, I was with you on the starting him thing as well. I thought for sure they would wait till at least Golden Tate comes back, and they've got some kind of weapons around him. You know, the one thing I think you can say for Eli Manning, too, is Eli Manning hasn't had this team around him because Sterling Shepard went out in the first game yeah. as well. So there's no really way to know what Eli would have looked like without this uh, full team around him as well. But Daniel Jones definitely looks good. 
On the other side, for the Bucks, Jameis Winston actually looked pretty good. And you would go back and think, oh, well, he lost another game. But this game really wasn't on him. Drove down the field and, and put them in position to tie or actually win this game with a with a late field goal. 23-37, 380 yards, three touchdowns, one interception to finish his QB6 on the week with 37.25 points. Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber continue to almost completely split the workload here 50-50. But Ronald Jones gets you 80 yards on 14 carries to finish his RB20 with 13.10 points. Peyton Barber, RB running back 38, with 7.5 points, 48 yards on 13 catches. I'm sorry, 13 rushes. My goodness, I cannot, I cannot talk. Uh, Ronald Jones does also get you a 41-yard reception. Mike Evans has a career game here against a really bad Giants secondary and defense. 190 yards on eight catches and three touchdowns to finish his wide receiver one on the week with 45 points, which in return causes uh, Chris Godwin to have a subpar game here, 40 yards on three catches, finishing his wide receiver 53 with eight points. And then O.J. Howard actually makes a little bit of an appearance in this one after getting called up by his coach last week. 66 yards on three catches, 9.6 points points in fantasy. I I like the bounce back from Evans. I talked about it on Friday. There were a lot of people worried about him. I said this game he would have a bounce back. They did. Let's Let's hope that this continues moving forward with Evans if you're someone who owns him. But what were your thoughts on Howard having somewhat of a decent game here? And I would imagine you agree with me that Chris Godwin is going to be just fine. It was just one of those games where they were heavily targeting Evans and everything will be fine moving forward for Godwin. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, when you look at it, Mike Evans got 15 targets. Nobody else got more than four. It feels like maybe there was a decision made that either there was something they could take advantage of on the Giants' defense or they really needed to get Mike Evans involved and going in this game or maybe a little bit of both. And so, you know, it's nice to see. I'm sure for fantasy owners who are on the verge of panic, Mike Evans and O.J. Howard are back from the dead. Howard gets four targets, turns three of them into 66 yards. you got to feel pretty good about that. Touchdowns are fluky um, on the tight end position, you know, week to week is tough. If he can just get a few targets, I mean, I think it was in week two, the, the real panic came from him not even getting a single target and playing a lot of fullback. <clears throat> so people are probably happy to see him come back. I think. Winston, you know, after a really horrific week one, uh, looked better last week, looked pretty good this week. When your team misses a field goal and two extra points and you lose by one point, it's really hard to lay the blame for that anywhere but your special teams game. I mean, if they would have made even one of those extra points, they would have been tied. So uh, that's kind of an embarrassment. But running back, still a quandary. You know, last before last Thursday's game, I would have said don't play either of the running backs. And then Peyton Barber comes out there, runs for a touchdown, has a bunch of yards, and it's like, well, maybe it seems like they're going to feature him. Okay, we can put Peyton Barber back as a low-end flex, and now I'm back to I wouldn't play any of them. Um, Ronald Jones got 80 yards. He had a 25-yard run in there among his 14 carries. So if you peeled that off, it's 13 carries for 55, which looks a lot awful lot like what Barber had, and getting one long pass for 41 kind of inflates his numbers. It's hard to tell week to week. I think it's going to be a toss-up for both those guys going forward. Neither of them seems to want to take command of this job either. 
Yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to continue to be a 50-50 split like a, a couple other backfields as well, which is just going to be maddening. Something that I'm actually hoping to talk to you and Tony about on Thursday is getting into some of these big timeshare splits at running back and some yeah. some wide receiver ones as well and where we should start panicking for certain owners of players will definitely be an interesting episode for us, for the three of us, and that is one of them because I'm right there with you. I mean, as you stated, Ronald Jones 14 carries, Peyton Barber 13, so they were it was almost an exact timeshare between the two Ronald Jones just had the one big run and then obviously the big catch as well to kind of put him over Barber for the Giants though on their running back position Saquon Barkley is likely out for at least four to eight weeks has a chance to be longer so he had an MRI today it is a high ankle sprain a lot like what AJ Green had it looks like there's going to be no surgery needed, so that is somewhat good news. However, you brought up an interesting point earlier when we were talking off-air. Go ahead and tell the, the listeners that you, the, the thing that you kind of brought up about Barkley and coming back in possibly eight weeks. Yeah, I mean, they're saying uh, four to eight weeks. I saw someone say they think it's going to be at least eight weeks because of where the Giants' bye week is. The question when you're talking about, you know, Daniel Jones, obviously the future at, at quarterback, but we already know Saquon Barkley is the future of their offense, period. So, it, you know, if he comes back and you're looking at week 11, 12, some kind of meaningless games in December for a two or three win giant team, do you even try to bring him back or do you just wait? So, I, you know, for Saquon Barkley owners, this is devastating and it's not an answer you're going to get anytime soon. And probably, if you have him, you built your team around him, it may not matter for you anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, he's had a couple of okay games, and then yesterday would have been a pretty, you know, iffy game. But now you're thinking about not having him for eight weeks. It's hard, you know, when you have a number one pick like that, and we're talking about a guy who was pretty much consensus number one overall, to recover and make the playoffs. Yeah, so the... <laughs> For fantasy, too, you got to think about, so again, if he's not going back to at least week 10 or 11, you're talking about you got two weeks with him before you make the playoffs, assuming you're able to recover from that. Now, I can imagine some dynasty leagues, you might have a fairly good team or some death built at running back redraft. I mean, that's going to be hard because as you you pointed out, you likely took him at the 1-1 unless someone for whatever reason was worried about the, the Giants offense. Chances are he didn't fall past 1-2. So you likely took him within the first two picks of your draft. You likely don't have, unless you possibly hit on some of the late guys we've seen here. I mean, I'm torn. Now, obviously, you got to go get Wayne Gallman. We saw that he came in and, and played pretty much the majority of the snaps after Barkley went down. Actually, Wayne Gallman has been pretty good in his career when he's gotten double-digit carries. He's always finished with at least double-digit fantasy points as well. So I do feel like if they rely on him, he will be someone that can get you some points. He's not going to be Barkley, but at least he could possibly fill in and be like a low-end RB2 flex option for you. So that will help some, and possibly he'll get you a big game here and there, but you can't uh, expect any kind of Barkley production. So if you did have him, you need to go get Wayne Gallman. Hopefully you're in a fab league or you're down toward the bottom of your waiver wires, or if you just handcuffed him to begin with I know that's not really something you would have expected because we haven't seen this from Barkley before but yeah I mean even even if he does come back in week 10 I, I don't know how much they likely ease him back in for one or two weeks so assuming you make the playoffs well, the best the first week you're going to get is week so, 13 or 14 
the Giants buy is week 11. So what I was seeing today is they don't expect him to come. Most people don't expect him to possibly come back before the bye week, okay. which means you're talking about not till week 12, yeah. most fantasy regular seasons and either week 12 or week 13. So you might get him right at the end. I'm not as bullish on Wayne Gallman as you. I think actually the reason Daniel Jones fared better than Eli Manning. I mean, if you look, Jones took five sacks yesterday against a, not particularly ferocious Tampa Bay front. I think they don't have a very good line, and Daniel Jones has succeeded a little bit better because he's more mobile and able to get away. Gallman had five carries for 13 yards. That, to me, doesn't strike me as somebody I think I'm going to rush out and get production. Really, if you're going to try to make any kind of move, you probably need to get somebody. I mean, it's fine to pick up Gallman, but I would be trying to get somebody else in a different position that's going to give me more week-to-week points, because I, I just don't see... I think that's part of the reason we've only seen more human-looking Saquon Barkley the first two weeks. Yeah, because of the offensive line? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm just saying, if it, depending on what kind of league you're in, like, for instance, one of my redraft leagues, we uh, we have 18 roster spots altogether. So, like, and Wayne Gallman's yeah. already rostered. And so, like, I can't remember exactly who it was, but I know a couple weeks ago the best running back available where it was Raheem Mostert, and I got him. I spent most of my fab to get him. There's not much left on the waiver wire. So at this point, too, when you lose a guy like Saquon Barkley, you're just trying, I guess the best way to put it is grab anybody with a pulse at that position to try and help you out there. And so that's why I said him. I mean, just looking at it, so right now the best available in this league, there's two guys that I can see that I'd I'd be willing to get, and that's Darrell uh, Williams of the Chiefs, assuming that uh, Damian Williams is going to be out for a little bit longer. Uh, and then they have uh, Naheem Hines and Dare Ugambawe. I don't know how to say his last name. But uh, so for me, it'd be Williams, Hines, and then Dare for me. And, and again, that's still, I mean, that's not great. You're not feeling good about it unless Matt goes down. I feel like you could feel good about Hines. But outside of him, you're really relying on yeah. injury with all those guys. So yeah, for me, the only reason I say Gallman is because he's likely going to get the bulk of the work there in New York so hopefully he gets you some catches from Daniel Jones and possibly some goal line work get you a touchdown here or there if he can get you double digit points every week you know 10 11 points and and you can throw him in as an RB2 or flex option that's better than what you're likely going to get from someone you might not have on your team now knowing you had Barkley because I do know some people when you draft Barkley at 1-1 you kind of play a dangerous game of, well, you know what? I'm set at running back because he's going to get me more than enough points for a uh, good RB1 and two combined, so I'm good to go. And maybe you wait a little bit longer and take a guy and not until the fourth or fifth round, and now you're struggling because you've got Kenyon Drake as your RB2 and you're needing to rely on him to support your team at running back, and that's just not going to help you at all. I do feel like I should take this opportunity to apologize to America because I'm pretty sure that I'm the reason that Saquon Barkley is gone because last year as the vampire in my vampire league, I won two games. I got I was able to trade for Le'Veon Bell, who never returned and played a game, and A.J. Green, who promptly like broke his ankle and never played. And this year I won week one and was able to take Saquon Barkley. And in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, does that mean he's – Soon to be injured, and oh, two two weeks later. So it's your fault then. That's uh, that's good to know. I feel like we're about to lose I, a lot of listeners on this podcast now because everybody's going to hate you. Yeah, well, I just don't want them to blame themselves. Well, at least now we know. So now we know every week 
When we got to get Vampire League updates from you, and whoever you take, you just need to be ready for an injury to occur on on your player. So we will definitely make sure to check in on that. So in case you win next week, we can find out what player you took and be like, "All right, well here we I, go. We're uh, about to lose Tyree Killer." I actually have won the first uh, three weeks as Vampire, so I've taken Barkley, Carson Wentz, and Juju Smith-Schuster, so buyer beware. Well, I just traded Juju, so I'm okay with either one of those two going down, because I don't own Carson Wentz anywhere, so uh, I mean, I got and I actually got Saquon Barkley for Juju, so go me, right? That was uh, that, That's a story for another time. Let's move into another little bit of factory of sadness moment here and the Los Angeles Rams beating the Cleveland Browns on Sunday night football 22-13 for the uh, Rams side here. So the Rams continue to be money on the road under Sean McVay. They are 15-3 and since he's become the head coach, but Jared Goff struggles again in this one as he tends to do on the road. 24-38, 269. Two touchdowns, two interceptions, 14 yards on the ground to finish his QB 19 with 24.16 points. Todd Gurley continues to struggle here. RB 45 with just five points in this one. Gets you 43 yards on 14 carries, doing absolutely nothing in the receiving game, which is just incredibly interesting to me. Uh, Yet again, we see two wide receivers step up, and one of them do absolutely nothing. In this one, again, it was Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks. Cooper Cup finishing his wide receiver three with 34.7 points in this one. 102 yards, two touchdowns on 11 catches. Brandon Cooks finishes his wide receiver 11 with 21 points. 112 yards on eight catches, and then that leaves Robert Woods with just 40 yards on three catches, and then two rushes for 18 yards. I feel like we talked about this last week, and it's going to continue to move forward. I think with those wide receivers, if you own one of the three, you have to start them every week because you don't know who it's going to be the past two weeks. It's been Cup and Cooks. Uh, I do feel like those are probably the two safer starts. If you owned Robert Woods, would you start to waver a little bit about possibly putting him in your flex, Matt? I don't think so. He had a huge game in um, week one. I still think of the three, to me, the safest is Cup. Who he may not have the highest ceiling of the three, but he seems to have the lowest floor. And he's incredibly efficient. 12 targets yesterday, caught 11 of them. 12 targets to Cooks, 8 to Woods. I mean, they were trying to get it to Woods. They just didn't always connect. Um, So I still think Woods, Cooks, you're rolling them out there. I, you know. They're probably low-end wide receiver two or flex territory with incredible upside. Either one of them could end up as an RB1 for the week. Uh, You just never know. Yeah. Are you worried about Todd Gurley at all? Because uh, he did not look that bad. I felt rushing the ball at times. I do think that the Browns' defense is a lot better than some are giving it credit for. They did a good job of slowing down. Still 3.1 yards of carry, though. I think his biggest thing is he's just not doing anything in the receiving game at all, which we saw that's where a lot of his value came from outside of touchdowns the first two two years. Uh, Do you have any fear in in him possibly not even finishing as an RB1 this year? I actually don't think he he will be an RB1. I think you're looking at uh, more of a top-end RB2. And toward the latter part of drafts, I feel like that's where he started to settle. Yeah. I think you know them mixing in Malcolm Brown, them not really targeting him heavy in the passing game, is a strategy 
I think they saw last year what happened when they went from 100% Gurley to 0% Gurley. It took a bite out of what they could do offensively, and they want to make sure that they can have 75% Gurley throughout the season and that they're aggressively trying to uh, trying to protect him. And I, I'm with you. I think the Browns, they have some problems defensively right now on the back end they were missing a lot of people last night but they have a pretty ferocious front they've been pretty uh stout um so the rams were having success passing they probably didn't feel a need to to pound it with him that much and um you know i it's if you drafted todd Gurley thinking that you had a high end number one or if you're in year two or three of a dynasty league and he was your first pick uh you know, I think this is moving toward a new normal, and unfortunately, that's what people are going to have to adjust to. Yeah, the, the, the Browns secondary was decimated last night. I believe the only the only starting player that had been in there the first couple of weeks was was TJ Carey. That they had almost had to replace their entire secondary last night. Just unfortunate injuries, concussions. Among other things, yet I still felt like they played pretty good. The offense, though, did not. Uh, Baker Mayfield continues to look like what Jimmy G looked like when he first came over to San Francisco. Uh, you, you would think he, he's putting up good numbers, but he's just not. 18 of 36, 195 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Finishing his QB 27 on the week with 16.2 points. Nick Chubb has a good day, though. RB 11, 17 points in this one. 96 yards on 23 carries. Adds 35 yards on four catches. Jarvis Landry and Odell both have subpar games here. Odell wide receiver 39 with 11.6 points. 56 yards on six catches. And then Jarvis Landry 62 yards on three receptions. Finishing as wide receiver 48. We did see uh, Harris step up in that tight end role with uh, with Njoku out. Will be out again for at least, uh, I believe, until week 10 or early November is the first he can come back. So Demetrius Harris stepped in. Actually looked pretty good there. Did get a touchdown. Just the one catch, though, for a two-yard touchdown. Finishes his uh, tight end 20 on the week with 7.2 points. I think I hate to admit this, but I feel like we're at the point now where if you drafted Baker Mayfield as a top five quarterback, with chances are you did. That's where his ADP was going, was right between the three and five mark. Uh, it's time to sit him down. I don't trust him moving forward. This offense just looks completely out of sorts. I I know some of it is the offensive line, some of it is the play calling, some of it's on Baker as well. I went back. And watched a lot of uh, different spots of this game. And, uh, for instance, the last drive when they got down into the red zone, they were on the four-yard line. The last play before he decided to bootleg out to the right for no reason whatsoever because the pocket was clean. If you were to go back and look at that play, the defense was playing like a man coverage. And none of the defenders were paying any attention to Baker in the secondary. And there was just a wide-open hole that merged right in front of him. All he had to do was run forward. He would have easily scored the touchdown. Uh, And then they would have had a chance to tie it instead he bootlegged out to the right because that is what he has done throughout his entire college career and last year and then tried to force the ball in Uh, I mean just as a Browns fan I hate that because I feel like you completely eliminate one side of the field when you do that I understand that he's been successful with that there was a lot of plays last night where he just ran off to the right side, brought Aaron Donald back in because Donald was continually rushing from the outside uh, and just kind of completely collapsing one side of the field and not being able to make plays 
We'll see if that gets turned around. They talked about it a lot last night on the broadcast that uh, if he gets the ball out before 2.5 seconds, he's extremely efficient after he's doing nothing with it. Uh, and I do think that's what's affecting Odell and Jarvis as well. What are your thoughts overall on this Browns offense? I mean, outside of probably Beckham and Chubb, are, are you, do you feel safe starting anybody else? No, I, you know... Especially with the schedule they have coming up, um, I think we've talked before the first half of the season, uh, a lot of tough matchups, tough locations, uh, and I think there's some growing pains. might be time to sit him down if you have another option uh, behind him and see if he can get back into a groove. Even Chubb has not exactly been the high RB1 that you thought he could potentially be. He feels like uh, more like kind of Todd Gurley, you're seeing him settle into kind of that high-end RB2 range. Beckham um, probably going to be a little boomer bust going through here. Uh, if you were Jarvis Landry owner, you might feel a little more encouraged. Nine targets last night. He was only able to get three of them for 62, but we thought his targets might tick up, and he might benefit the most from uh, Njuku being out, and that seems like that's the case. But um you know, it's, it's really tough because he went into this season, the hopes weren't just high for the Browns as a Super Bowl contender. They were really high that you were going to have four or five of the best assets in fantasy. Uh, and they haven't been bad, just not been quite as high as what you hoped. Um, I still think there's time for them to find a rhythm, to find a groove. This is only three weeks uh, for this core playing together in, in games to count. But um, it could be a little bit before that happens uh, this season. Yeah, so before we move off of them, there is one thing I will say on the Browns' offense, and, and I agree with you, that they have not been playing long together for the most part. The one, I guess, upside thing that I will say, and the one thing I am excited for, is after this week, the starting week four, week five, we will get Antonio Callaway back. Antonio Callaway was a big difference maker last year, and it was an outlet that gave Baker May. He was the outlet that Baker Mayfield went to in a lot of plays last year in big games. For instance, the Denver Broncos game. He was the one who got that touchdown. He was someone that would get open because the the number one corners would go to Jarvis Landry. the The issue, part of the issue, I think, with the Browns' deep offense right now is that Jarvis Landry is being forced to play outside as an a deep threat wide receiver, which he is not. He he is just not that good. He is a phenomenal, possibly one of the best slot wide receivers in the game. That's where he thrives. He's being forced to be moved to the outside for the most part because they just don't have the depth there. Where Higgins being out, Antonio Callaway with the suspension for uh. Uh, not substance abuse, but the, I can't remember exactly, the drug program, him doing, failing a drug test of weed. So he, he is suspended for the first four games, this week's game being the last one against Baltimore. I would not be surprised if in week five, unfortunately they are going against Seattle, but we have seen Seattle's defense is not quite what it used to be. If the offense doesn't look a little bit better with Antonio Callaway out there, because he is a guy who will likely be matched up against the third cornerback on every team, and he is faster, surprisingly, than Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, uh, and that could obviously open up some more space for him, and Baker will not be afraid to throw the ball deep to him. So possibly some better times coming for the Cleveland Browns offense. That's the one, I guess, ray of hope that I'm going to latch onto, but right now things are just not looking good for them. I, I, I'm with you. I, I really think that is. Although Chubb hasn't looked great, I think outside of him and Beckham, they're the only two I would feel safe starting every week. Jarvis Landry maybe as a flex upside play, but even that I feel like is a little uh, 
it is a little sketchy with the way that this offense has looked. Next up, we have the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills, which actually turned out to be a really good game. Buffalo really controlling that game for a long time before the Josh Allen interception kind of let the Bengals back in it. Bengals lose those 17-21. On the Bengals side, Andy Dalton, 20 of 36, 249 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions to finish his QB 20 on the week with 23 points. Joe Mixon actually has a good game. 61 yards on 15 carries, adds 34 yards on two catches and a touchdown to finish his RB10 on the week, 17 points. Auden Tate shows up in this one, uh, wide receiver 35 with 12 points, 88 yards on six catches. And then Tyler Boyd just continues to do Tyler Boyd things, 67 yards on six catches to finish as wide receiver 27 with 14 points. John Ross slowed down in this one finally after, after two really good weeks, just 22 yards on two catches. Again, the Bengals. They struggle. Ross is uh, disappointing. I was actually surprised that Joe Mixon had the game that he did. I was not expecting that. Uh, your your thoughts kind of on their receiving core. So we all know t- Tyler Boyd's an automatic start every week. Does Auden Tate showing up and uh, John Ross uh, kind of floundering here worry you at all? Does this make you want to take John Ross out of your possible flex spot, or is he good to fire back up again next week? I think this is really a case of a, a tough defense. Buffalo has a good defense, especially a good secondary. So I think there'll be better days for Ross. And I think Tate probably more of a result of the matchups. Um, you know, they weren't able to go to the tight end that much. Only um, one target for Eifert, one target for Uzama. So <clears throat> they were just looking for other places to go. It was probably good for uh, Mixon owners to see him getting involved a little bit more. Um, and I think my other takeaway here is, unless you're holding him as a handcuff, Geo to me is droppable. Yeah, I know. That was that was one of the guys I was high on this offseason thinking he could uh, do something, especially if Mixon got hurt, but he has just not looked good. And especially after, especially after the contract. That's what I was about to yeah, say. They got that contract him. extension. Yeah, that, yeah, they gave, apparently re-signed him so that he had the best seat in the house. Yeah, I guess so, man. I I, I saw that re- extension. I remember we talked about it on the podcast. I was like, man, that might actually be even more value for him now moving forward. It, it's dropping Travion Williams down a little bit more, and then, yeah, he's just done nothing with it. Yeah. On the Bills' side, Josh yeah. Allen continues to prove he's a fantasy stud at quarterback. 23-36, 243 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Adds 46 yards on nine carries to finish his QB 17, 26 points. Frank Gore steps in for uh, Devin Singletary and proves uh, that he's still got it. RB12 on the week, 16.9 points, 76 yards on 14 carries, and a touchdown adds 13 catch or 13 yards on two catches. Cole Beasley has the best day for the wide receivers here, though. 48 yards on eight catches, again, getting targeted a lot here. Ten targets in this one. Uh, doubles up the next best in John Brown. 23 yards, 14, I'm sorry, finishes his wide receiver 23, 14.8 points. John Brown finishes his wide receiver 47 with 9 points, 51 yards on four catches. And then Dawson Knox, a guy that I was talking about in the preseason as a huge sleeper. A lot of people were him going to Buffalo. His athletic skill set coming out of Ole Miss. Finishes his tight end 7 on the week with 16.6 points, 67 yards on three catches and a touchdown. Uh, obviously, I still feel like this this Bills offense, although have a tough matchup this week against the Patriots, are all worthy starters every week. Let's talk about Dawson Knox, tight end, a, a weak position as we were just talking about a little bit ago. 
possible breakout game. Would you be willing to pick him up as a waiver wire ad this week and possibly play him next week? Um, I think it doesn't hurt to stash him, especially if you're in deeper leagues. I would not be playing him next week. Three for 67 and touchdowns, nice. Had a 49-yard completion in there, which is going to inflate his stats. I'd like to see him do something a little bit uh, more before I'm trusting throwing him out there. Um, but, you know, you pretty much got what you were expecting from the Bills. I, um, I thought we'd see a little better game from Josh Allen. He was fine, uh, but he fumbled twice, lucky not to lose him through an interception. Turnovers have plagued him. Sloppiness has plagued him. Considering what we saw Russell Wilson and Jimmy Garoppolo do against this Bengals defense the last two weeks being at home, um, I would say this is an underwhelming performance from Josh Allen. I would definitely be leery of starting him against a good defense in New England next week. Yeah, I think... I mean, I, I liked what I saw out of Allen. He did obviously make his mistakes, although that is, is kind of to be expected with Allen. Uh, but I am with you on the on starting him against the Patriots defense. That's one of the teams I would not necessarily start him for. I mean, he's got the rushing upside there, which will likely help him out. But I, I would be worried about him throwing the ball against this Patriots defense, as they've proven uh, that they are yet again one of the best defenses in the league. Next up, we have the Miami Dolphins and the Dallas Cowboys. A much closer game than the final score indicates. Dolphins 6, Cowboys 31. On the Dolphins side, Josh Rosen finishes as QB 28 with 13.8 points. Did sit out a couple drives in this one, or a couple plays in this one with a, they thought, a concussion at the time, but does get 200 yards, 18 to 39. Did have a touchdown drop by Preston Williams. Kenyon Drake finishes his RB 33, 8.2 points, 38 yards on 12 carries, adds 34 yards on three catches. Uh, and then Preston Williams, again, finishes as wide receiver 42, another double-digit point week for him. 68 yards on four catches. Uh, Devontae Parker, there's a Devontae Parker siding here with Josh Rosen coming in, 56 yards on three catches. Uh, again, they the Dolphins, I thought, looked a lot better than expected. They really played the Cowboys tough for the most part. Really didn't start to unravel there until the end of the third and then the fourth quarter. Uh, for me, again, I would not start anybody on this team, but continue to watch Preston Williams. And if you're in a keeper league and he's available, pick him up because this kid looks like he's going to be a stud. And if they get a quarterback in next year's draft and start to improve this team, I mean, just look at what he's doing with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen. This guy could really be a fantasy stud in the next couple of years. Do you have any thoughts on the Miami Dolphins offense? Uh, no, you know, I'm not starting anybody, but I think Rosen bears watching, um, wasn't awful, uh, didn't throw an interception, didn't have a fumble. So, uh, in the world of Miami football, I'd say that's progress. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought he looked a lot better and in all honesty, not to, to go off on a full tangent here, but I actually kind of feel bad for Josh Rosen. I, I did, I was not high on him anyways, coming out last year. Uh, but then getting, playing, in Arizona last year with the offensive line problems that they had, and then now coming over here to Miami, and now they're going into full tank mode, likely going to take a quarterback next year. I do feel bad for the kid that he's never really gotten a shot because uh, we have seen some brilliant moments out of him. So hopefully he'll continue to get a chance to play here in Miami and maybe get a job somewhere else next year. But that, again, we've seen with quarterbacks that stay on the same team and get three offensive coordinate, new offensive coordinators or head coaches in three years. Uh, they just tend to struggle moving forward, so hopefully better days to come for Josh Rosen and, and his career in the NFL. 
On the Cowboys side, that was not an issue for Dak Prescott, though. With his new offensive coordinator, him and Kellen Moore continue to light it up. Dak finishes his QB 11 on the week with 31.29 points, 19 of 32, 246 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Does get you a seven-yard touchdown run as well. Tony Pollard actually outscores Zeke in this one to finish his RB7 with 21.8 points. Gets you 103 yards on 13 carries and one touchdown. Zeke finishes his RB14 with 15 points, 125 yards on 19 carries. Uh, and then uh, gets you 14 yards on two catches. Pollard, 25 yards on three catches. But Amari Cooper is the guy who wins the day here. 88 yards on six catches and two touchdowns. Goes back to what me and Dennis talked about on Friday when we previewed this game. I talked about how I did not think Zeke and Amari Cooper would both have good games. I thought it would be one or the other. While Zeke still does come through with you for you for with 15 points, Amari Cooper and him getting the ball as much as he did and getting you the two touchdowns really kind of dampered somewhat Zeke's day here. Uh, so obviously, as I, as I said on Friday, I thought either Zeke was going to have a big game or Amari did. Zeke still comes through for you, but obviously you wish he got the touchdowns, whether it was from Pollard or maybe one of Amari Cooper's. Uh, your thoughts overall on this Dallas offense moving forward again now really getting ready to start playing some better competition than they've had the first three games. Yeah, but they luck out uh, with this uh, Saints game with no breeze. You know, uh, Bridgewater didn't look too bad, but it's not going to be the same team. I I think Dallas is actually shaping up to to have possibly a monster season. They've had an easier schedule, yes, but they also uh, haven't really – had to use Zeke at his full Zeke power. They were able to use him back and, and get him going. And, you know, if I'm the rest of the NFL, I'm feeling scared. The one thing that you used to say is they were a one-dimensional offense. They are not a one-dimensional offense anymore. Um, Dak has certainly looked like he's taken a step forward, and I'm excited to watch him play. I think the they've been real fantasy gold. I know I have a Dak Cooper stack in a couple of places and uh, those are the teams that have been feasting so far. <laughs> yeah, they they have definitely been been rock solid the first couple weeks. It's going to be interesting to see. Everybody said if they were able to go get Zeke and re-sign him, they would be Super Bowl contenders and and they definitely look like it so far. The biggest question we all had was what, what Kellen Moore can do, and he has definitely proven that he is more than up to the offensive play calling duties, uh, and he has definitely shown out so far these first couple weeks. Next up, we're going to talk about the Broncos and the Packers. So the Denver Broncos get 16, Packers 27 in this one. The Broncos, Joe Flacco, 20 of 29, 213 yards, no touchdowns, one interception to finish as QB 29 on the week with 10.02 points. Philip Lindsay has a great day reminding me of uh, Philip Lindsay 2018. Finishing his RB3 with 29 points in this one. 81 yards on 21 carries and two touchdowns. Adds 80, I'm sorry, adds 49 yards on four catches. Cortland Sutton has a good day in this one. Wide receiver 29, 13.7 points, 87 yards on five catches. And, and unfortunately, Emmanuel Sanders comes up a little bit small in this one. 10 yards on two catches to finish as wide receiver 88 with just three points. I did not get to watch a lot of this game. Uh, from what I, the parts that I did get to see, it looked like both teams were going at it. It looked like a very good game. Uh, obviously, Philip Lindsay, one of his touchdowns, he was literally thrown into the end zone by Dal- Dalton Risner, which was a little bit funny to watch. Uh, but what were your thoughts overall on this Broncos game? 
Yeah, I mean, the Broncos, uh, they're their own worst enemy. Three turnovers yesterday, uh, interception, two fumbles. You know, they had, uh, they got the ball to start the second half, trailing 17 to 10, uh, make a nice completion to Noah Fant, and he lays it on the ground, and pretty soon it's 24 to 10. It just, uh, I think the Denver offense is going to be tough to watch most of the season, going to be hit or miss, whether it's Freeman or Lindsey. Um, I have been interested to see that this is two weeks in a row where Lindsay is getting goal line carries, which is the provenance I thought was going to be the provenance completely of Royce Freeman. So gives you mo- more hope um, if you're hoping for more even opportunities here. Uh, another solid game from Cortland Sutton. Um, he's looking good. Sanders only four targets. I think they were really working to take him away. And the Screen Bay secondary we've seen through three weeks is much improved. Yes. Yeah, they're actually um, – oh, who was it they were behind? Oh, the Bills. Those are the, the top two in defensive yards allowed, actually, in defense. So, yeah, Packers, very good. Maybe that was – like I said, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of this, so maybe they were taking Emmanuel Sanders away. But Cortland Sutton is a stud. He was a guy I thought might have a breakout year this year. Of course, I did not expect Emmanuel Sanders to do what he was doing. I thought it would be the Cortland Sutton show with Deshaun Hamilton. I'm glad to see – Sanders balling out. Better days ahead for Sanders, though. No need to panic on him. For the Packers side of things, so Aaron Rodgers finishes as QB 23 on the week here with um, 19.5 points. Gets you 17 to 29, 235 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones finishes his RB 16 mostly because of touchdowns, though, in this one with 15.3 points. Gets you just 19 yards on 10 carries and two touchdowns. MVS is the wide receiver of note here, finishing his wide receiver 10 with 21 points, 99 yards, 6 catches, and a touchdown. Devontae Adams struggles in this one, 56 yards on 4 catches again. Now twice this week and week 1, by far the two worst weeks he has had in the past two years, which may be a little bit concerning, but I do have a feeling I know why he struggled in this one. 59 yards on 12 carries for Jamal Williams as well in this one, finishing his RB28 with 10.6 points. Before we get to the Devontae Adams thing, actually, we'll start with Devontae Adams. I actually talked about this on Friday. So Vic Fangio, when he came over to the Denver Broncos defense, Chris Harris has always been, for the most part, the slot slot cornerback for them. Phenomenal cornerback, one of the best in the league. The first couple games, he was actually shadowing the best wide receiver, and that was working out well for them. I thought that he would shadow Devontae Adams. Again, I did not get a chance to watch most of this game. I did see him on Adams a fair amount when I was there, and I said on Friday that if he does, I do feel like he will be able to shut down Devontae Adams. Not that because Devontae Adams is not good. Devontae Adams is still a stud. But so is Chris Harris, and Aaron Rodgers is a guy who is not going to force the ball to anybody. I do feel like that's why we saw MVS take a step forward and have the game that he had. Uh, do you are you are you in agreement with that, or do you think Devontae Adams possibly struggling with the new offense that the Packers are running? No, I think coverage scheme had a lot to do with it. Plus. Uh... Bryce Callahan did not play again. Denver actually made a switch later in the game, putting in Devontae Bosby to replace Isaac Yadam. Um, but we've seen through the first three weeks when Yadam is out there, he's just not up to the task of starting. He frequently gets targeted. He got targeted a lot by Oakland. He got targeted a lot by Chicago. Uh, he's just not able to hold up. And I think Aaron Rodgers, somebody who's savvy, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, I think, is probably a boomer bust wide receiver four. Um, you know, you could see a game like this where 
you know, he catches 99 yards in a touchdown or you could see um, much less. So I think that's going to bear watching going forward. For the running backs, we've seen now this is multiple weeks in a row. Oh, actually, all three weeks that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are in almost a complete timeshare. Again, if Aaron Jones doesn't get the two touch, if Aaron Jones just gets one touchdown, this is a completely different game for them. Do you think this was more just a Broncos defense or something to start worrying about if you're a Jones owner? Yeah, I think that is a little bit concerning. Obviously, week one was kind of concerning, but they were going against a good defense last week. It seemed like Jones kind of took a hold like we were hoping. Uh, Denver has a decent front, so, um, you know, we're going to have to watch. Um, But there's been a a long concern. Is Aaron Jones going to become the future guy? Is he capable of being the future guy? I think, unfortunately, through three weeks of the season, we're no closer to answering that question. Yeah, for, for all the people who got excited last year when Mike McCarthy got fired and then Matt LaFleur comes over, everybody's thinking, all right, Aaron Jones is finally going to be the guy, and then he ends up right back in the same situation we saw last year. So definitely worth watching and something that if you're an Aaron Jones owner, you've got to pay attention to. May not be the the high upside wide, re- or wide receiver running back, too, that we all thought he could be this year. Next up, we've got the Atlanta Falcons and the Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis pulling this one off 27-24. On the Falcons' side, Matt Ryan, 29-34 for 304 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception to finish as QB7 on the week with 35.7 points. Devonta Freeman has a bounce-back game, finally. 88 yards on 15 carries, adds 7 yards on 3 catches to finish his RB22 with 12.5 points. Julio Jones, 128 yards on 8 catches and 1 touchdown. Uh, And then Mohamed Sanu actually has a better game here than Calvin Ridley with 75 yards on 6 catches. Austin Hooper gets you 2 touchdowns with 66 yards on 6 catches, finishing as a top tight end this week as well. For the Falcon side, so I talked about this on Friday's episode. I said that I thought Devonta Freeman would have a good game here, and then once he did, it is time to sell and get out of the Freeman business because I just do not believe in, in him anymore. What are your thoughts on Freeman moving forward? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, three catches for seven yards doesn't do much for you. He had 88 yards, but he had a 28-yard run, so he had 15 carries for 60 yards the rest of the game. You know, he just hasn't looked that dynamic or that special this season. Uh, and there was nothing really about yesterday that's, that, oh man, I got to hang in there. I think, I think you're right. If somebody got excited based on what they saw, see what you can get for him. Yeah, and I think the only thing that might help Freeman moving forward is the Edo Smith injury. Uh, it, it was It's not serious, so he's likely going to come back, and if he does, that means you're likely going to lose some of the receiving work again back to Edo Smith, but if he does happen to sit out, that might help Freeman have a good couple next weeks, but if it were me, if you can, I would try and sell him now for whatever you can get because I'm, I'm not buying in anymore to him being a comeback player of the year candidate like I was the season began. For the Colts side, Jacoby Brissett continues to ball out here. 28-37, 310 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Finishing as QB9 on the week with 31.8 points. Marlon Mack bounces back this week, finishing as RB13 with 16.8 points. 74 yards on 16 carries and a touchdown. Uh, And then T.Y. Hilton, although he does get injured again late in this one, does get you 65 yards and a touchdown on eight catches to finish his wide receiver 13 with 20 points. Five points. Zach Pascal gets into the end zone as well in this one with 53 yards on two 
catches. Marlon Mack. So a lot of people worried about him coming into this game. Does end up playing. Scores a touchdown. Uh, I, I don't... Mac, are you okay with him? And then what are your thoughts on T.Y. moving forward again? Injured again in this one. Uh, re-injures the quad. We'll see where he goes moving forward. Uh, but definitely he's had a lot of injuries the past couple years seem to be piling up on him. Yeah, I mean, you have to watch for Hilton's health. But if he's out there and if he's able to go, I think you have to roll him out there. He seems to be the only real consistent uh, person in the, in the past catching game. It was nice to see... Um, Ebron and Doyle a little more involved, but each only had four targets. Um, you know, unless they can get you a touchdown, it doesn't seem like you're going to kind of get the value you had last year. Uh, Marlon Mack, uh, a guy I wasn't super high on, seems to really have um, a stranglehold on that job. And as long as he stays healthy, he seems like somebody who's going to be uh, good to roll out there every week. Uh, he was involved in the passing game. A lot of people thought Hines might have a bigger passing game role. He had four um, targets, Mac had three targets, so it's not like he's stealing a lot of work there. I, I think Mac, um, you know, when he's healthy and out there, is worth a start. Uh, to me, that's, I also think Brissett, um, now that we've seen three weeks in there, especially with all the injuries we have at quarterback and all the questions and the matchups coming up, he's a guy that I'm feeling more comfortable about throwing out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I own him and uh, Kirk Cousins actually in a couple of leagues, and Kirk Cousins is uh, riding the pine for me and enjoying it, at least I hope, with with Jacoby Brissett going out there because Brissett has looked amazing. Definitely looking forward to talking to Tony on Thursday about him. Uh, again, I was one of the people who thought – with Jacoby Brissett, I know we actually kind of talked about it. You you seem to kind of come around on it there. Uh, with Jacoby Brissett and how good this Colts team was, we talked about them still competing to make a possible wild card team and be in this division. Uh, and he has not disappointed so far. Even even the, in the game that they lost there, they were still in it till the end. Jacoby Brissett. Looks like he might be the future of that franchise moving forward. We'll see. It's still early, but I've definitely liked what I've seen out of him and this offense. The last game we're going to talk about today was supposed to be the best game of the weekend. I don't think it was quite as good as it turned out to be. But the Chiefs against the Ravens, Chiefs pulling out a 33-28 point win. Lamar Jackson on the Ravens side. So when you look at his numbers at the end of the game, look like they were actually decent. 22 of 43, 267 yards, adds 46 yards on eight rushes, finishes his QB 15 of the week with 26.78 points. And then really the only other person uh, fantasy relevant was Mark Ingram, who finishes his RB2 on the week with 35.5 points, 103 yards on 16 carries and three touchdowns. Marquise Hollywood Brown, just 49 yards on two catches. And then um, uh, Mark Andrews had a really bad day here. 15 yards on three catches. Might have had something to do with the foot injury. And Lamar Jackson did overthrow him on a couple of passes. For me, this was the Ravens' first test. We've talked about it many a times. I'm not trying to poo-poo on anything Lamar Jackson did the first two weeks. He has definitely improved from where he was last year. However, my biggest question was when they play better teams... What will he be able to do? And he did struggle in this one. We talked about it a little bit off air. I know you didn't get a chance to see some of this game because you were in the middle of traveling. I watched a lot of this game. His couple YOLO throws at the end of the game really bailed out his stats and team and allowed them to get back into it, throwing completely across your body, which is a huge no-no in the NFL. 
uh, and, and uh, Snead going up and catching it uh, over two defenders, and then his throw down to the goal line, uh, which I'll admit was an impressive throw in the fact that he was getting hit and launched it a good 50 yards, uh, but Seth Roberts goes up over the defender this as well and catches it without that. They are not good plays. Not worried about Lamar Jackson. I still think he has that high, uh, probably top five QB upside with the way he's been playing. Maybe this is nece- maybe this is his floor with what we saw against Kansas City, but they have a lot of better games moving forward. So outside of Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram, does this worry you at all for the offensive weapons such as Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews? Yeah, I think Andrews, I'm not as worried. This is probably a product of he was questionable. There was some doubt as to whether he was even going to play. I think that factors into it. Still got seven targets. Uh, if he connects on a couple more of those, we maybe aren't feeling quite as bad. To me, this was a, a big game because it was against a better team. Uh, but Kansas City, while they have a world-class offense, does not have a world-class defense. So I think if I was going forward, seeing him struggle – uh, in the pressure of a game where he had to try to keep up with the opposition even when they don't have a great defense would give me a moment of pause thinking about when they play teams, you know, what's going to happen when they play New England, which has a good offense but also has a world-class uh, defense. And I think this was another game that it's fair to wonder if Baltimore is improved on offense but has regressed a little on defense, which may end up catching up with them a little bit more in the long run. Yeah, I mean, not to sound like a Browns homer, but I am a Browns homer. I actually think next week's game could be a very interesting game because I do think, in in all honesty, the Browns defense, if especially they can get some of their secondary players back, have a better defense than the Chiefs. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do to this Baltimore offense. Obviously, the the Browns... Offense is not going to be anything close to Lamar and the Ravens or even the Chiefs offense, but can that defense keep it close a lot like they did last year uh, and give the Browns a chance to stay in that game and do something? On the Chiefs side, they just continue to roll. It's it's honestly a little bit ridiculous and, and, and honestly frustrating now if you're not a Chiefs fan. Patrick Mahomes, 27-37, 374 yards and three touchdowns to finish his QB3 on the week, 40.61 points. Uh, so there definitely goes that regress to the means uh, attitude right now, at least so far, because he is on pace for 6,000 yards and 58 touchdowns. LaShawn McCoy finishes his RB6 on the week with 23 points. Gets you 54 yards on uh, eight carries and a touchdown. Also adds uh, a little bit of work here in the receiving game. 26 yards and a touchdown on three catches. Again, a guy who who is dealing with a little bit of injury as well, which is why we saw Darrell Williams in there as much as we did. Nine carries on 62 yards, finishing his RB15 on the week with 15.9 points as he added 47 yards on five catches as well. So definitely a worthwhile uh, pickup. Uh, off your waiver wise, a guy that could help possibly as well help replace uh, Saquon Barkley, especially if Damon Williams is going to be out for a couple games. We've seen Andy Reid like to run a more two back offense. LaShawn McCoy injured again in this game. If he possibly sits out, it's definitely going to be the Daryl Williams and Darwin Thompson show. Uh, and Williams, the more bigger and stronger back, I would imagine he gets a lot of run if those two are out. 
For the wide receivers, we saw Miko Hardman have a huge game, 97 yards, two catches, and one touchdown to finish as wide receiver 17 on the week with 18.4 points. Demarcus Robinson gets another touchdown in this one as well, 43 yards, three catches, one touchdown, wide receiver 33 with 13.3 points. And we saw Sammy Watkins is actually alive. He still plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, 64 yards on five catches to finish as wide receiver 40 with 11.4 points. I mean, just your thoughts all all together on this amazing Chiefs offense, and can anybody stop them? And what are your thoughts on on this wide receivers once uh, once Tyree Kill comes back, possibly in just a couple weeks? Yeah, uh, the first thing I'll say is I'm, uh, apparently no one uh, can stop them because we've been waiting for everyone to stop them. I thought Jacksonville would. Look strong week one. They didn't. We thought Baltimore might look strong this week. They didn't. Uh, also, that sound you can hear faintly in the distance is the Darwin Thompson truthers crying uh, quietly in a corner. Um, you know, it was uh, he was a huge popular pickup, especially in the middle of the week when it looked like both McCoy and Williams might be out. And it turns out if McCoy and Damian are both out, Darrell Williams is the one that you want. He was obviously the reason they felt confident enough to cut Carlos Hyde to the curb. Uh, so that, that was a little bit of a surprise. Wide receiver wise, um, you know, Hardman obviously has some incredible, uh, impressive overall number, but he got all, almost all of that on one 83 yard bomb. Um, so a little bit hard to tell, uh, but I like him. I like Robinson. I think if you have a pulse and you're lining up for the Chiefs at wide receiver, you have fantasy value. So, uh, the question is, um, you know, when does Hill come back? What does he look like? Is he limited? Do these guys continue to have a role? I had thought, uh, in that week one, when Hill went out there originally, Demarcus Robinson was the one that looked like he was third man up, which might give him more sustained value going forward. But we'll have to see. Um, Watkins, I think you're a little hard on him. If I recall, he had six receptions last week for 50-something yards. I think it's just that week one aberration put him at a whole other level. But he's drawing, he's drawing number one wide receiver coverage now, and I think the reason we saw him thrive so hard in week one was was Hill was drawing the number one wide receiver coverage. So Watkins is almost opening the lanes for Hardman and Robinson to me. And that kind of makes you wonder when Hill comes back, are we going to see a real Sammy Watkins resurgence? Because coverage will tend to roll toward, you know, the Chiefs have a lot of poison. You have to guard up the middle to protect against Travis Kelsey, probably the best tight end in football. You have to watch out for their backs. And then if you're having to roll your number one coverage guy to their number one receiver, that's going to leave openings for uh, for second and third options. I think what's going to be real interesting the rest of the time Hill is out is to see whether Robinson or Hardman can establish themselves in that number three role because I think that is going to be a, a flex-worthy role going forward, especially with what this offense looks like. Yeah, I think if I had to choose one or the other, it would be Robinson for me. Uh, obviously, he got more targets. He's He's been in that offense a long time. Again, now a lot of people seem to forget about yeah. him. Uh, he was a guy that a lot of people have been talking about for years, actually, and really just this year has, uh, has burst on the scene. Obviously, Hardman has ridiculous amounts of speed. Uh, and was I actually think he was targeted? Was he? Yeah, he was actually targeted less than Hardman in this one. 
but I, I like Robinson is upside. I am a little bit harder on Sammy, but that's just because his truthers are also very loud and obnoxious at times. I, I just don't believe in Sammy Watkins as a top end wide receiver. I've always thought he's a low end wide receiver too. I don't think that's an unfair comparison to make or, or say that, uh, but a lot of people still view him as that, uh, that one year Buffalo wide receiver we saw where he just dominated, uh, the league there with Tyrod Taylor. And I, I've just never believed that. So I will admit, though, I'm possibly a little bit harder on him than I should be. Will be interesting to see. I know Tyree Kill is already back without the sling on his arm now. There was talks that he might be ready to start uh, running and doing some practice work within the next couple weeks, which could put him three to four weeks away, which would definitely be a little bit earlier than we all thought. Uh, So will definitely be interesting because that's just adding another very explosive weapon to a very explosive offense. Yep. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today and breaking down these first eight games. I hope you enjoy the somewhat possibly subpar Monday night game between the Redskins and the Bears tonight and look forward to talking to you tomorrow about the rest of the Sunday slate in the Monday night football game. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if it all gets to be too much, remember you can always watch James Vanderbeek, also known as Jonathan Moxon, on Dancing with the Stars to get your football fix. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd rather just I'd rather watch an XFL game. Is that out yet? Is that soon next year? I can't remember. <laughs> well, Antonio Brown's already working out for him, so it's probably soon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let's not. I don't even want to. We'll talk about that on Thursday because I'm I'm all Antonio Brown out. If, if, if I feel like you probably are too. Yeah. Well, you know, every time we think we can retire a B corner, he uh, he forces his way back in there. I will talk to you later. Thank you, sir. All right, take it easy. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump at me. Golly! Only they tackle him at the point of Who can make a play? I can't. Who can make a play? I can't!